Hello everybody, uh, this is Will and welcome to episode 9 of Dice Thrower. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, I have today with me, I'm very excited to introduce the inimitable guy of In- Midwinter Minis. Inimitable. inimitable. <laughs> Sorry, cut you off straight away. How professional. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing exceptionally well. Yeah, yeah. I've been hard at work for ages and I've just finished a video today and I'm like in calm relaxed mode now i've done the stuff i need to do and ah excellent well i can offer you a a brief respite by doing more work with me (laughs) perfect Um, uh yeah thank you so much for joining me that's okay pleasure um and now i imagine most people checking out the podcast will probably be aware of you and your work however for anybody who is not familiar with yourself and Midwinter Minis, would you like to just give a little intro, say who you are and what you do? Um, my name's Guy. I like to paint Warhammer models and I make videos about painting Warhammer models and occasionally playing games. And uh, that's kind of it, really, I suppose. Um, it just it totally bizarrely happens to have become my full-time job and also like one of the main Warhammer channels on youtube very strange very very strange awesome well i mean i would i would contest perhaps not bizarrely i think think thoroughly deserved through your through your hard work um oh no how the way i like to kick things off (laughs) here at dice thrower um is to is to ask going back as far as you like what was your pathway into the hobby and uh and 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 where we where we sort of find you now. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm gonna just um, kind of caveat this with, um, I know I know that on your on your channel, if people are watchers, um, you know you do you do share quite a bit about yourself, and so there might be a bit of crossover in this episode on things you covered before. So you have to excuse that. But yeah, I mean, I'll try and I'll try and add information that maybe uh, hasn't been said before. Mm. Dice throw exclusive. Dice throw exclusive. Um. Now, I was thinking about this the other day because I have said in previous videos and previous podcasts um, that my first experience of Warhammer 40,000 and just Warhammer in general was uh, when my uh, next door neighbors, you know, my next door neighbor um, who was pretty much the same age as me, he had the Space Marine miniature that came on the front of white dwarf i can't remember which issue but it was either like 1993 1994 and i just thought it was like the coolest little thing ever and i wanted one and i didn't know what they were and then i saw um there was a tiny little shop in jersey that sold these cool little miniatures and i I recognized it and i was like that's the thing that's the thing and it um and i asked for it for christmas and my grandparents my mother's parents bought (laughs) <laughs> like like you don't know what grandparents are but specifically my mother's parents <laughs> nice. um bought me a space marine tactical squad the you know in the blue box with the metal bodies and the plastic arms that was the um the generation of warhammer that i got into and that was in 1994 uh and then i think for my birthday which is a couple of months later i got the second edition box set which you know blew my tiny mind <laughs> I can't 80 even... models 80 models my god um but i was thinking about this the other day and maybe i would quite like to do a video on this because i think actually what really got me into being interested in small 
model. It's going to sound really stupid. But um, do you remember the muscle toys? Yes. Yeah, they're pretty much the same size as Warhammer models, right? And they were just, but they were like slightly squidgy plastic, like pink plastic. And you could, you know, you could squidge them around a bit without breaking them. And you just like fight and fight each other yes. with them. And Mar- when I was like five, six, seven, eight, you know, I loved those. I played with them all the time. And also, monster in my pocket. Yeah. 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 I'll, yeah those two like- things, I think, are like the actual, the the thing that people forget that actually got them into being really interested in playing with tiny humanoid toys. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. the, I think that's the one of, of the weird. Yeah, definitely. Um, Am I right in thinking that muscle was, it was like an acronym on the logo? Yeah, I don't know what it's for. Who, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Apart from the person that made it up, but you know. <sighs> yeah, sort of small, like. I think they, they were wrestlers, weren't they? Yeah, really, kind but. of that, those, like, that's certainly monster in my pocket were like single colour. Yeah, L- rubbery little. But they had stats things. on them, didn't they? You could play a game with them. I don't know. I think you could. I mean, in all honesty, I can't. I can't confirm that live. No, but it's something to dig into. It's dangerous territory confirming that live. In, just in terms of kind of attaching this memory to a time period, mm. um, and not to just sort of jump into your own mem- memory here. But uh, I remember having a box of uh, monster in my pocket, but yeah. they were stored in. And I don't know if anybody remembers the transparent pyramid that you used to get Ferrero Rocher <laughs> oh no I was thinking alright because I think you can actually buy or they used to come in some kind of I think it was a volcano I think it was a volcano awesome. pack and it was like a big triangular pack so you know maybe it was just a hard wearing version of that Yeah. but I've been looking on eBay obviously because I'm a total addict and like I'm not buying Warhammer for a whole year and I'm just literally buy, buying everything buy else instead. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been looking at buying Monster in my pocket for like a proper nostalgia trip and maybe for making a video. But uh, really expensive to get as new, obviously, as everything yeah, is when it's that old. But you know, apart from Pogs, you can buy Pogs like for my, nothing. <laughs> my mind is now racing to, to all of the small plastic. Do you remember Boglins? yeah boglins were fun uh, i think i got put off boglins because one of my childhood friends was at, like the boglin person and they oh. were obsessed and they had literally all the boglins and that's all they ever talked about and it's like oh my god i don't kill it don't tell me about boglins please <laughs> is this going to be a conversation about it is a conversation about boglins <laughs> awesome um so that do you want me to summarize that so uh <laughs> So, in a very roundabout way, that is my first experience of Warhammer, but also my first experience of sort of miniature fun things that, you know, I think, as you said, were progenitors of of my passion for tiny little plastic models. Yeah. And so to so so you got the uh second edition box there, and at this point you are you're sort of all in with two feet. Very much so. How yeah. how, how about the how about the sort of uh the interim, the in the in-between years between then and now. Yeah, I think that's that's like a common tale with most people, right? Because you get into it when you're young and school is easy and you have time to play with toys. And then when school becomes difficult, when you're like 16, <laughs> 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, you have less time to do things like that. And maybe, you know, uh, some things that you would like to do, like maybe interact with the opposite sex makes you self-aware of, of maybe like having all of these toys um 
and they are toys, you know, I'm not pretending they're not. And I think that's what causes a lot of people to sort of drift away from the hobby at that age. And that's fine. Uh, but you know, we had a little discussion before we started this podcast. And like you said, you just get to a point where you are sort of comfortable again, maybe in your mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties, uh, where you're like, do you know what I really enjoyed? I really enjoyed collecting and painting tiny models <laughs> and I want to do that again. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. I think I was like 29, 30 and, um, yeah, bought myself a Cadian shock troop squad and a chimera from the Warhammer shop. And I was like, they're, you know, they're kind of like the least nerdy looking things. You know <laughs> what I mean? They're like, Hey, this, I mean, it's technically it's almost historical wargaming, isn't it? <laughs> and then, Legitimate. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, it'd be sad to just play them on their own. They need an opponent. <laughs> and then, you know, downward spiral seven years later, <laughs> I now have something like 3000 models. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think that's a, a spiral in the correct direction. Sure. Um, I mean, a thousand of them at least are painted. So that's semi-decent, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's good hit rate. I, I think. know, right? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's an incredibly uh, common theme to have those wilderness years. And mm. and cer- certainly, I think that there there is an, an aspect of um, kind of universal self-consciousness and hormones and mm. things that, mm. that can t- pull people out. And also, you know, there, you know, it's, it wasn't so easy then to point, you know, to point to things and say, "No, oh, this is legitimate." Like, look, people are doing this. It was very much like, "Why, why are you pushing those figures around, rolling those dice?" One hundred percent. But, but also, it was. It's difficult to describe to people now that who are maybe young now. When I say young, I mean like twenty-five and under. That's not really young, yeah. is it? They'd be like, "I'm a, I'm a big boy." <laughs> Oh, grown up. <laughs> yeah, I'm all grown up. And you are, you are, you really are. Um, but uh, it's difficult to describe to those people that when I like started the hobby, people called Tyranids Tyranids. Every single person that I spoke to called them Tyranids. And uh, apparently, that I heard this from Andy Chambers when I was speaking to him for a video. Uh, it's like a total weird fanboy moment, but <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, and he was saying that the first time they took like Warhammer 40,000 to a trade show in the USA, uh, that the people that had, had been playing the game already didn't really know that walk knobs, like knobs were pronounced knobs. They thought it was nobs, like <laughs> nobles. Apparently that's right. the thing. And it's like, nope, nope, no, no, it's knob. <laughs> and like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, can, I can, I can see that in terms of, uh, just, just having the like, this can't be a joke. Mm, no, no. And, and, and like painting guides were, you know, that sort of three or four panels of step by step with, you know, a page of instructions. And it's like, well, it's so different now, like the transfer of information and, and what is available to people is so different now. And I think that's why you see such like incredible talent and amazing abilities developing so quickly. You know, you see people, there's always, you know, it's like half incredible and half really demotivating for yourself because you see people are like, I've just painted my second ever model. And it's like, that's the best thing I've seen in weeks. <laughs> I'm going to just burn everything I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think I th- I think that's a re- that's a really like le- legit thing because just just to kind of um, I- I've thought about this exact point before, and just to sort of express both both sides of it, I think um, s- certainly you know somebody who's relatively new to the hobby now can essentially absorb what for other people might be like years or decades worth of experience very quickly through something like YouTube and, and, and all of the other kind of channels, if you mm. like, and whether it's just basic stuff, like you ought to thin these paints for it to not look, look, look awful, yeah. you know, all the way up to like, you say some like quite advanced techniques. And and I think it's quite legit that your second model could be look really quite accomplished these days because you don't know how much time, you know, somebody spent and it's, and then, and I think, you know, on the flip side, you know, I've seen people post that and then they're, they're just having kind of a semi-awful experience of people being like, no, it's not. And just mm, giving mm. them a hard time for it. And it's, yeah, like, definitely. it's not unreasonable to be, be pretty accomplished. After. On the plus side, and I, I do like, I try to leap into the defense of the sort of uh, miniature painting and Warhammer community uh, in general. But I do find the community like incredibly supportive and motivational and just good, on the whole good. There are like some bad eggs. But, um, you know, there's like, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. There are like shitheads in every hobby. Yeah. (laughs) Like every walk of life. Uh, And, you know, you you deal with them, you know, as and how you see fit. But I think, as I said, I would say like 95% of all interactions I like see online uh, in the hobby are incredibly positive. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, coming from a music background as you do as well that's not the case you know it's like i would i would say like the majority of sort of musical feedback and uh community uh, element is quite negative and very critical um yeah it can be mm. and, and and no and that's i th- I, I appreciate you making that point because because um yeah it's, it's easy it's easy to pick out the negative comments mm. wh- which are the minority and 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 you know I've, I've done that a little bit there but yeah i i have an adage i like to carry with me which i also like to think applies to everything which mm. is that there's always a few dickheads it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't matter anything. what it is yeah uh, or how much you like it or you don't mm. there'll always be a couple of people who are difficult to get along with or just want to spoil someone else's fun or whatever it is and uh yeah th- those people don't need don't need to dominate and i and i would i would agree like mm. pe- people are very supportive <laughs> But then uh, it's a weird thing. I'm like, I try to see the good, or like, not like, I'm trying to see the good side in everyone. That's not true. But uh, I'm fairly sure that like even the the people that we think are dicks, like, get some camaraderie in the hobbies from other places that we don't really, you know, frequent. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, you know. I mean, I think it's. It's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a n- notorious fence sitter in, in, in life, but I think it's important to try to retain nuance. I mean, mm. it's not an original point to say that you know, in online discourse, pe- it tends to be quite polarized. Yeah, and it's easy to say like people are either ultra supportive in the hobby or they're some sort of horrible, you know, closet goblin just who just wants to troll people and make them miserable. Yeah. And you don't know. It might just be that that. That one negative comment is one person having a bit of a rubbish day, and actually, exactly, they they contribute a lot. So, mm. yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you raised like a really good point there as well, and I think you could probably take it further. And from my 
from my experience in the hobby, there is an awful lot of uh, sort of mental health issues and, uh, you know, I don't want to say like personality disorders, but certainly things that affect how people communicate. And sometimes those issues are no fault of their own. And to sort of vilify people and uh, exclude them instead of maybe trying to actually talk to people and, you know, see if they're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's maybe quite harmful. So I, I, I like really try when I started the channel, I was, and, and I was like replying to every single comment up until I got to about 60,000 subscribers. And then I just couldn't keep up with it anymore, unfortunately, because I really loved doing it. But, uh, I used to, I used to like reply with pretty like cheeky comments <laughs> to people that left, like, I didn't get many bad comments, but to people that did leave them, I, I used to like, yeah, I was a bit of a dick actually with some of them, but, um, I, I decided to stop doing that because, uh, yeah, like I said, I just was like, it's not actually nice and I don't know that person and I don't know what they're going through and I don't want to exacerbate anything or like, yeah, I just don't want that to be me. So I stopped. Yeah. But that sounds like a good move. I think people people often talk about sort of anonymity online and how mm. that can be harmful because you can, if you like, if you are the offender, you can hide and say what you like. But it cuts both ways. It also means that, like, like exactly like you're saying, it means you don't know that person. Mm. You mm. can't you can't just assume because someone makes you know one dodgy comment that they are. Uh, full of full of malice and deserve yeah and and like i i frequented uh message boards back in the day in the early days of the, well not the early days of the internet but like the late 90s and i'm fairly sure that i left a lot of dickish comments on on lots of people's posts um you know and i probably regret all of those but uh it's just you know it's just the 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 course of developing as a person i suppose isn't it and yeah. you sort of i think most people do it and they they have an episode or like a period in their life where they aren't maybe the best communicator and they don't think about what they're saying as and how it affects other people but um this is like getting pretty deep for a podcast about tiny toys right i love it this is this is <laughs> <laughs> uh, going into the psychoanalysis of, uh, yeah. mm. um anyway yeah, uh, basically, I forgot what the question was. We've like gone off at such a tangent. What was the question? Um, I think it was, um, what did your nan buy you? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to just want to say what I think of it. Shout out to your mom's parents for presumably getting the correct gift because I know, right? people of that of that generation not necessarily that generation, but when you're two generations removed from the gift recipient, it's easy to make a mistake when it's like... For sure. They would like a tactical squad of Warhammer. You know, yep. ending up with an actual hammer yep. is quite like... I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the amazing thing was my grandma was like the most straight-talking uh, person you've ever met in your entire life. She was like... I don't, I don't want to say a street urchin, but she had like a dozen siblings and you know grew up in poverty and you know had like a tin bath in the street once a month and stuff and and she was like these cost 20 pounds you better make them and paint them and i was like oh my god okay grandma 
She was, yeah, she was like straight talking. No. She taught me to throw knives. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of person she that, was. That's the only way you get a warm bath. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to kill the person. <laughs> not, yeah. It was a bath of blood. Um, we need no. we need more people like that. Maybe fewer piles of shame. Mm. If every t- Imagine if every time you, you <laughs> bought, bought a box, someone just looked you dead in the eye. Yeah. And said you a disappointing you relation. You had wasn't. better build these and yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Terrifying. She called me a twat once I, when I was like growing long hair when I was a teenager. She was like, "When are you going to cut your hair?" It's like, I don't know, maybe never. She was like, "Cause you look like a twat." I was like, "Oh, thanks, Grandma." <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's tough. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> tough, tough luck. Yeah. Well. Given given what given the very little amount that I know about about your grandma, it doesn't surprise me to hear that was her appraisal of the hair. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm also I also do come down on the side of like I think I think you need to have an, an age where you experiment. Oh yeah, and and Definitely. I make that sound like you should experiment and then at some point inevitably cut your hair. And I'm I'm all for the long hair. I I would I sort of regret never never doing the long hair thing. The reason I ended up cutting my hair just for reference i used to have like uh it was below the nipple it was quite long uh <laughs> could you could you windmill it oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah and i did frequently um but I, it was really annoying because like when you sit down it gets it gets like stuck behind your back and then you kind of like can't move your head comfortably without it like dragging and and that sounds like really really niche problem but there's going to be some people listening that are like, yeah, exactly. That's why. Well, cut your hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's one of those things that at the time I was like, it looks so cool. It looks so cool. I'm never going to cut my hair. And then when I cut my hair, I was like, actually, this looks way cooler. God. And now I look back at photos when I had long hair and I'm like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> you know, just just to do a long hair tangent for a moment. Mm. One of the questions I always ask myself is like, when you see photographs, mm. and I'm just going to take this from the perspective of the fact that we're we're both men talking about men growing long hair here. <laughs> manly and, manly men well, talk about well, hair. Well, just because I suppose you know, like it is the convention that there are certain styles you would then have. Yeah, and I don't say that because I want to wish to limit anyone to any particular styles, mm. but. You see photographs of men with long hair, you think, yeah, that looks sick. Like, it looks like a lion's mane. That's what mine's mm, going to be mm, like. Yeah. And then, frequently, the reality is that, like, you just have to kind of have a really harsh parting in the middle of your head where it all just hangs down. And I don't know, I don't know how, you know, you spend, like, four years or whatever it is growing your hair below your nipples. And then how do you overcome that bit of it? I'm just impressed we've like said nipples twice in this podcast already. That's pretty good going. Um, One for the hat trick. I know, right? <laughs> um, now I don't want to. I don't want to boast here, but uh, my strong widow's peak and uh, like quite thick hair. It did look pretty like flowy and cool. And uh, well, I say cool. Like I thought it was cool at the time. Um, but yeah, I think the, 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 the danger is cause I used to just like kind of brush it back and it just like fell in place and it's like, that'll do me. That's easy. the answer. Easy. Just, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, depending on like hair type and stuff, it, yeah, it can look a little bit straggly, can't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, f- I fear I would be of the sort of ultra straight, slightly thin length. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
but you know, there's things you can do with it. Uh, we're, we're turning so many people off this podcast, right? <laughs> They're like, are they actually talking about styling their hair? Please, no, kill me now. Please stop. Look, it, it, <laughs> I'm going to listen to Trapped Under Plastic instead. It, look, either, either you're a proper fan and you sit through the long hair bit. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm like sniffing in the background. I do have a bit of a cold. It's on the way out. I'm feeling like good. You're not going to get infected, I promise. Nice. Well, appreciate that. Mm. <laughs> no tongues. <laughs> appreciate that. Heads up, sort of 25 minutes in. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to try and bring it back to an actual question. So, um, so I suppose, I suppose, which which elements of the hobby appeal most to you? Um, and and I suppose the, my kind of like framing for this question is: some people love to go to tournaments and do maths and write lists. You know, some people love to just sit and paint, and then you know the models go on a shelf, and 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 that's the end of it. So yeah, where on that kind of spectrum? Um, are you most drawn? I am very much of the... Ooh, Jesus, sorry. I'll start that again because my chair just moved. Um, I am very much of the paint and make and sometimes play field. And I think that's uh, the majority of hobbyists, to be honest. I think they're sort of collecting and the painting and the making and maybe kit bashing sometimes and having a bit of fun with it. Um, maybe, you know, sort of dabbling with a bit, a few of the stories, maybe, maybe a couple of computer games, um, and maybe you try your hand at a couple of smaller games. That is who I am. Uh, what I try to achieve beyond that, I try to do as a form of entertainment for videos. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, if I was just doing, uh, playing it as a hobbyist and doing, and, and like, you know, doing this as a hobby rather rather than a job. Uh, yeah, that's exactly who I am and what I would be doing. I like the sort of collecting aspect. I like the um, building and customizing and painting. Uh, and the most enjoyable games that I've played are this small sort of skirmish style stuff uh, or small like 500 point or 1000 point games. When things are I think it might be also to do with the fact that I like playing Horde armies <laughs> and 2,000 point games of Horde armies take forever. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, a whole a of, day affair. It's a lot of boys to move. Yeah, yeah. When it's like turn one starts at 11 a.m. and it ends at 3 p.m. You're like, oh my God, <laughs> no, please. I just want to play a game with a friend. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think tournament play, absolutely not interested in. Uh, I do quite like list building, though, um, and kind of trying to think of synergies of units that would work well together. Um, yeah. I, I do quite like that element. It's sort of the tactical element. But um, in terms of, like, gaming, I, I really like the old version of Necromunda. That is my favourite tabletop game. And I would love to do it on the channel at some point because... Uh, I just, I worry because it's like a niche thing and you can't, well, people don't play it anymore, but they do play it. That's the thing. Mm. Uh, a lot of people play it. They just don't talk about it. And they're kind of, you know, they have their own places that they talk about it. Um, mm. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, on the, on the Necromunda point, I mean, I've been, been recently getting into what I'm going to call the new 
edition. Nucromunda. Nucromunda. Rather than Retromunda. <laughs> uh n17 n17 um like and which i mean i've been thoroughly enjoying because i mean i I definitely enjoy the sort of the stories that come with with a game whether that's a game of like you know big tabletop full of 40k Mm. just those like storytelling moments yeah rather than the oh you know having like a list built of just this one jet bike has trashed you um but I, I think it's an in like just an interesting thing in general because you you sort of mentioned that most people enjoy a little bit of everything and I mm. think that's probably the case and that's that's part of the appeal of this over other hobbies is that it it has it's multifaceted yeah 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 and you can do some painting some building some playing some exactly. reading and all that different stuff um, but it but it does also I suppose fascinate me to ask because it is also like a double-edged sword in that respect because if you're someone who for example really enjoys board games mm. and sees a game of 40k as like another big board game yeah it then has this ludicrously high barrier oh yeah to entry definitely um so yeah I, I find it a really unique kind of prospect in that in that sense i think just going off at a, this isn't a proper tangent this is just uh you know going a little bit further on to the point you just made I think actually that's one place where Games Workshop have fallen down a little bit. When I say a little bit, I mean entirely um, in terms of the board game offering that they have. Because, uh, for example, I used to play Space Hulk with my granddad. You know, and he was like in his mid-70s and he could understand and play Space Hulk. Yeah. Um, And the miniatures were basic and they had clear facings they were like squat little dudes facing forward with their arms at their sides and you knew you know so when when it's like an action point to move forward you know you're doing that and an action point to turn 90 degrees you know which way they're facing do you know what i mean yeah um i'm not saying like they haven't they obviously haven't released space hulk for a long time but um blackstone fortress for example I really enjoyed playing it, but it's it's not a game I could play. You know, it's not a game you can like quite easily teach a seventy-five-year-old to play with you when you're ten or twelve. You do, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and you know the the kind of the the depth of that kind of thing is just off the scale in terms of what you know their offering in the nineties was, and also the miniatures are just so much more fiddly and complicated and not. I don't think that they are certainly made to sell the game based on the quality of the miniatures for people to collect miniatures and play in other games rather than the boxed game that it comes with. Um, uh, and that is where it fails to be honest, because they're not game pieces and they're too fragile and they're too like, they're too fiddly. They take too long to put together and um, you know, you need to kind of, I think you need to think of like the excited kid who's bought it and they're like, yeah, I'm going to play this right now. And, you know, back in the day, you know, you, it would honestly put you, you know, pulling them out with your fingers and pushing them together. It would take you 10 minutes to put all of the space marines together from Space Hulk. Yeah. Um, you know, and how many jeans do you need? Like three or four on the table at any one point. So you can do that and the rest of blips. Um, and, <laughs> you know, or if you need another one, just like, yank it out of the thing and push yeah. it together there you go it's done you know five seconds 
Um, yeah, but I think now it's it's just it's a totally different experience. And and if you like that kind of board game, you're not going to get it from Games Workshop, which is a shame because I think that was what turned on a lot of people back in the day to the hobby that that kind of experience. And it's it's you, you can't really get that now. Yeah, I I would agree that I don't think there's really anything that is like you can just dip your toe into and it's like an introduction no. Pro- probably the nearest thing that i'd be aware of is may- maybe like a blackstone fortress type thing mm. or a war cry and all of those i would say share the exact like criticisms you've just made yeah. you can't just open them up on christmas days or pop pop them out of the box mm. I-, I think games workshop at the moment has a bit of a tension between the like intricate model production side of it and the gameplay side i mean there's a lot of bigger sort of centerpiece models which you look at it and you think that's going to look amazing when it's Mm, painted by someone really good Mm. and that's going to be a nightmare to transport to play a game with or something 100 yeah uh and i also think that there's there's several things at play because I think uh, one of the things, one of the problems that has been created by, as you said, the kind of like the development of large fiddly models. And I think um, Games Workshop intentionally trying to make it difficult for recasters to cast their models by having like very uh, spindly parts that work well in plastic because of the the actual strength of the material but yeah. for resin like are a nightmare to put together and, and deal with and you basically just end up losing um yeah that coupled with you know trying to create big impressive models and sort of scale everything up and then also having uh as we we're saying basically games and box sets coming out pretty much with the rather than you know with the premise of being this is a fun game to play and it's like really well thought out and you know is cool and fun and you can play it with your friends it's like this is a way of getting models at a discount yeah and it's just i think yeah. it feels it always feels a little bit disingenuous doesn't it like for example speed freaks speed freaks i have never seen anybody play the game I like. I, I was actually looking online. Do you, do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? That, yeah, yeah. It was like like it was like a sort of they released supplement game. Yeah, and it had some like unique at the time orc terrain pieces and the new orc vehicles, the two like cars that came out at the time, and then they also like chucked in some bikers. And it's like, well, you know, if you were buying all of those models separately, that's like £120 and you can buy this for £90. So it's a saving and there's a game as well. And it's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I don't care about the game. You know what I mean? I'm saving 30 quid on models. <laughs> it's, it's like the thing that everyone does and I do it all the time. I fall for it every single time. Um, but yeah, who knows if the game's good because no one played it. And really, maybe what they should do is just quit doing that do you know what i mean uh and just release like fun themed army boxes or like battle boxes with a couple of sides in and you know don't come up with these like special games that no one plays because it's a shame because i'm sure the rules writers actually put quite a lot of like care and attention into it yeah and uh you know people basically just like (laughs) open the box take the plastic out and bin everything else yeah it's it is an interesting 
property of the the way they do releases now mm. and especially to compare it to the image that you conjured about you know like you're eight years old and it's christmas and you're excited about a new box i mean it, even if you look at like um you know like the indomitus box or something it's a couple of couple of years old now i mean how how much is that really you know it's got two armies in it mm. but how much is it really a starter set and how much is it just a a bundle for people who know that they want the new edition yeah because i mean i'm i'm not exactly like deep into the hobby in terms of you know been doing it constantly for decades mm. and even even in my relatively limited experience pretty much everybody i spoke to albeit you know it's skewed because i'm going to be more likely to be speaking to people around my age but pretty much everyone i spoke to was getting it so they could split it you know sell the half they didn't want and it was it was just a like a bundle yeah let me tell you two things i've got a terrible terrible secret to tell about indomitus i'll tell you that after agreeing with your point and saying that indomitus wasn't a start set it was as you say it was like fan service really but it was communicated as it being the next edition starter set and they did that whole thing of like the history of 40k starter sets and they had like the second third fourth fifth Mm. slash sixth no sixth slash seventh edition you know dark imperium and then indomitus and that's it was a lie do you know what i mean because it was it was only available uh limited and then they came out with the, the um the you know the recruit and commander edition and whatever the other one is elite is it yeah um yeah and that that's a good idea those are cool but um yeah it was a, it was a bit of a cheeky lie wasn't it now let yeah. me tell you my terrible terrible secret that i don't think i've told anyone <laughs> uh outside you know publicly anyway this is uh, huge this is huge this is a dice thrower exclusive everyone pay attention <laughs> listen up um i wanted two sets and that's naughty yeah. of me because i knew it was limited but i want a big necron army right don't don't yeah. don't at me <laughs> It's, it's, it's extenuating circumstances as exactly well, yeah. right my friend Ant he wanted the space marines and he wanted a lot of space marines so we are like specifically he wanted six bikes so I was like well it's limited right there's no guarantee we're going to get any yeah that was what we were told uh, and that was what we were told by like all of the local stores so I was like I contacted the local um, you know independent gaming store 40k in Colchester. And I put my order in for two. Sure. Right? As as anybody who wanted yeah. two would And I was do. like, maybe I'll get one. But, you know, here's the deposit for two. Don't who knows? You don't get. Exactly. Um, Ant contacted another place and tried to reserve two. Basically hedging our bets, right? Yeah. All of them arrived. <laughs> so we got four sets. So I have... Hundreds of Necron <laughs> warriors are ready to get built. I've built some of them. Uh, I also have like loads of the characters duplicates. Oh my god! You better come up with a color scheme. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, <laughs> just wait until you see like ants, twelve bikes. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, that was embarrassing. And then we're like, maybe we should sell some of these to other people who couldn't pre-order them and didn't get them. And then we were like, why should we? <laughs> Why shouldn't I have it? 
Just in, insert the, uh, mm. the Bilbo meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what he says, isn't it? I'm not a really big Lord of the Rings person. I think I saw that film like once or twice about 15 years ago. Does he say, why shouldn't I have it? Uh, I believe, and I believe it's something along the lines of, after all, why why shouldn't I keep it? Why shouldn't I keep it? Yes. Yeah, now it's come I, flooding I, back I, to me. I picture you holding an entire wait, two wait. Indomitus sets between thumb and forefinger <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> just gazing down maybe just a single necron warrior yeah 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 oh, well dear, dear. that's awesome that's a lot of necrons yeah i know right <laughs> i it, yeah I, or holding not, what was his name senor scorpion <laughs> <laughs> that meme was so good oh i mean <laughs> not 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 to not to sort of like just hammer on the same point but yeah i do i do wonder again the sort of like archetypal eight-year-old kid Mm. If they're opening Indomitus on Christmas morning, I mean, how do you wrap your head around that? I feel like at this point, you you, you like basically need to be an existing 40k player to yeah. pick up that rule book and really get like get yeah. get what they mean. I feel like this is like maybe rambly. Who knows? But I feel like the current edition of 40k in general, though, is like very dense. It's, very, it's like not user friendly at all, which is a shame because it's like. The time when most, I think it's like the most new hobbyists are entering the, you know, the hobby sphere. Mm. And uh, it's like, it's not, a, maybe it's like the, 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 some of the elements of the game are easier to learn than they used to be, but it's not as fun. It's not as fun. Like the game is too large now. There's like too many models. There's too many models on the table at one time, right? Every, Right. right agree with me <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, sure <laughs> yeah oh, okay guy whatever you say um put the knife down uh back in like second edition which is the first edition i land in you could play like a proper game that felt like a proper game like a proper big battle and it took a while with like 20 models aside mm. and now you know that's like two squads and you can be done in turn one now. And that's fine. But no one plays like that. It's it's like, it's not as granular. And it's, it's uh, certain aspects of the game have been sped up. But then because those have been sped up, they, I think they've basically gone like, we can't make it too easy. <laughs> We've got yeah. to have like some depth to it. And the depth they've added is having basically taking abilities that used to just be on the data sheets and you know stuff that was like it said it literally just used to say on the data sheet like it has a five plus and vulnerable save and now it's like it it has a this unit has a seven plus save and you're like what oh, okay so it doesn't have a save that's fine and then but oh it has an ability that you know if you read it's six different abilities one of them is that it has a five up save and it's like well, why don't I just put that on the stats like, why give it a name? Why make it complicated? Why make you have to read all this stuff? Just, like, things that can be simplified or at least kind of streamlined. Why not just do that for, as, as, like, a, a quality of life thing for players? I, that's um, that's what I don't understand. Yeah. That's my main complaint, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably don't have enough experience and insight to be properly qualified, but... I I remember before ninth launched, there was a lot of talk about how you know 
it's being streamlined. Yeah. We're simplifying it to make it easier than ever to get into. Mm. And I wonder and, and I, I wonder whether it, it like kind of building on what you say really, like if there was a continued restructuring there that almost forced their hand into then because because they were trying to like make it simpler at the core, they've had to add on more and more layers. And once they realized they could add on more and more layers just the layers continue to get added in in various formats. Yeah. Um let me just find for you um <laughs> uh the rules for cover as they were shared in the ninth edition teasers, right? Yeah. Um because they are ludicrous. I yeah, this is something I still with, yeah, with the caveat that I am relatively new to 40k as a whole cover still befuddles me um so for example like the way well, the way it used to be <laughs> what it used to be back in the day uh was that um if things were unobscured there was no penalty if they were like partially obscured and both players agreed they were partially obscured, they got um, the benefit of cover. And if they were totally obscured, they were either like unavailable to be targeted because they were, you know, not visible, yep. or, you know, you got a benefit to your to your save or a minus one to hit. Uh, and it was all quite, you know, cleanly described in the instructions. And uh, it had like visual examples and, and it showed you like most context yeah. of, of how you could interpret and it, so- right? For, just for like, sorry, not to interrupt. But just okay. for a little bit of context, that is effectively how cover is described in New Cremunda. Yeah, I know, right? So, uh, and then in in the as you were saying in the build up to the ninth edition launch, when they were kind of saying, "Oh, we've like simplified everything, and it's now streamlined, and it's all lovely," and then they release the like they sort of start hinting at rules that <laughs> appear, and I'm just going to read out this, Please do. you know. I'm a native English speaker. I am a uh, narrator of (laughs) of things. Professional narrator. So this should be easy to understand, right? Here we go. Dense cover. If this terrain feature is at least three inches in height, then subtract one from the hit roll when resolving an attack with a ranged weapon unless you can draw straight lines one millimetre in thickness to every part of at least one model's base or hull in the target unit from a single point on the attacking model's base or hull without any of those lines passing over or through any part of any terrain feature with this trait. (laughs) That is the definition of a run-on sentence. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Models that are on or within an area terrain feature with this trait do not suffer this penalty if only terrain, if only, sorry, if the only terrain feature of these uh, uh, lines pass over or through is the terrain feature that the attacking model is on or within. Models within three inches of the obstacle terrain feature uh, with this trait do not suffer this penalty if the only terrain feature these lines pass over or through is the terrain feature that the attacking model is within three inches of. The height of a terrain feature is measured from the highest point of the terrain feature. <laughs> is that clear? <laughs> uh, do you know how to play now? Good, let's go. <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, obviously, no, that's not clear. Struggle to picture that in my head as you described it. And that that for me is a very good example of something this is not my original idea but 
it is a complaint that's being made, which is that the rules are being turned into like irrefutable legalese mm. for tournaments. Yeah. Tournaments. Honestly, uh, what I, <laughs> this is like total 40 K bitch session. Um, what I absolutely would have loved with the release of Warhammer 40,000 ninth edition would be the edition that like welcomed everyone and had basic rules that pretty much anyone could get involved with and maybe a couple of pages like they kind of do have uh you know freely available that cover 99% of the things that you're going to be doing in the game yep all information available on little data sheets uh with the actual uh like special rules on the data sheets get rid of the stratagems like i don't i don't need to have like situational things and then need to study and remember and always uh, sort of if they turn out to be really good they're like gotcha moments in the game and it's not i don't think that's very sportsmanlike um or like you know game game like really Mm. uh i i would like the like data sheets for models and units to be clear and also available when you actually buy the models then that's the point of like buying them from games workshop right because then you get the rules uh which would be nice uh you know just a bit of laminated card or something on the inside would be great yeah and i know they change the rules too often to do that but therein lies the problem as well uh and yeah and basically just say like here's the rules that are very easy and simple do you want to play competitively in a tournament well here's a massive 500 page book yeah go nuts do you know what i mean but don't don't involve a casual player in that man like don't make them have to read that sent you know that massive run-on sentence to figure out you know if my dude is standing on a building or like is it cover or is it dense cover is it ruins what is that uh you know just make it so make it, there's so much potential to make it fun and quick and easy and like intuitive as well that they just they really just throw in the bin and it's a shame because it's a game i love and i want it to be good yeah. and i want i want to you know be able to approach someone who is like i was and be like you know you might be interested in this thing do you want to have a game and I can't, you know, you can't expect like a nine or 10 year old to really like absolutely hammer through these quite dense passages of, of really like, uh, like you say, legalese. Do you know what I mean? It's not nicely worded. Um, it should, as I said, it should just be like, are they obscured? Do both players agree that they're obscured? Minus one to hit. Yeah. You know, are they in a building? plus one to their save or something. Do you know what I mean? There you go. Done. Two sentences uh, with some pictures <laughs> would be good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you, you, so you said um, about this was like a, like a 40 K bitch session. And, and I, think, I think the thing is, is that this is not supposed to be an assassination of it. No, it, it, we, we're only having this discussion because we care about it. It's all and said it, with love. Want it, want yep. it to be good. And, mm. and I, just to sort of like, extend what you were saying a bit um and this this touches on in fact like quite a lot of the conversation so i mean i, I play quite a lot of board games mm. um yeah me too. imagine imagine you know quite a lot of people have that crossover between being into like 
um, you know, tabletop war games and sort of what people would file under board games. It's obviously a massive thing now, loads of great options. I mean, I, I have some friends, we play quite a lot of different board games, and I would say there's very little that is off the table, pun intended, in, mm-hmm. in terms of like complexity. Mm-hmm. We're pretty happy to dig into something which is going to like take an hour, hour and a half to learn. The first game is an absolute write-off because you're learning it. Yeah. But then one, from that point on, it's pretty crunchy. Yeah. Now, you know, based on that experience, I would say Games Workshop is a brilliant miniatures company and not a great game design company. Yeah, but then I think that's their focus. Yeah, you know? and, that, uh, and that's and that's and that's fine. But I think then 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 for me, and this is to sort of kind of basically agree with, with what you're saying. So then, what, what's the point of playing 40k? Well, for me, it's like it's supposed to be a simulation almost like role-playing that you can immerse yourself into. Mm. That's not the case for everybody, but that's what appeals to me. And in that moment where you've got like, you know, your little squad of guys here and guys squad is over there. And one of, one of a squad of five is, you know, you haven't been quite able to get them into cover and I can put my head to the table and I can say to myself, this guy here has a gun and he'd be able to shoot that guy. Mm Mm-hmm. But then we trawl through the legalese and it turns out because he's part of a squad who, you know, are in cover, you mm-hmm. can't. And you think, well, yeah, okay, now the sort of vera, vera, whatever that word yeah. is, verisimilitude is mm. broken Ooh. for me. Um, yeah, and I think there's there's uh, elements that, like you say, that in the sort of streamlining, make people go like, well that's not fair or like that doesn't make sense like if you can target any member of the squad then like the whole squad can potentially die do you know what i mean yeah even the ones that are like way hidden away it's like oh but yeah i I just had that one guy poking out because he was like close to the objective and he was my like sacrificial lamb but you know oh no now my whole squad's gone oh god i remember when i learned that that was a thing Hmm. i just had i just had this image in my head of like sequentially like that person who's sticking out on the end gets shot then the next nearest squad member, like Pokes a sort of video, yeah. video game Ooh. AI, just walks over to them, like, "Huh? Must, <laughs> must have been the wind," and then just gets shot, and it just like sequentially they all just walk out. Yeah. That's the only way it can happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's pretty wild. Mm. Um, well, let's take this juncture to uh, move on from yeah, annihilating the uh, 40k rules. So you talked about being more into the sort of painting yeah and thematic side of it i suppose rather yeah. than the, the crunchy crunchy number side sure so a big part of that for me i i think it's probably fair to say is like the aesthetic of, mm-hmm. of it as a as a as a product yeah does that extend for you into other areas i mean you you've you've now admitted that you're not a huge lord of the rings fan um which is fair but i mean just to broaden it i mean would you say that there's other things in your life kind of like books music film that you kind of bundle in with a love of, you know, 40k and everything Um, that goes with it. I don't, I'm not sure actually. Uh, I don't, (sighs) I do love like dark and macabre art. Uh, My sort of preferred or favorite artists. Uh, like my 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 main love 
or maybe like first love in, in art was um, Francis Bacon. Um, and if you're not aware of his uh, paintings, a lot of them are horrific. Not necessarily in their content, but in their delivery of, you know, it might just be of like someone that looks like a papal person screaming in maybe some kind of translucent box. But it it's so striking and, and disturbing. And when you see them in the flesh and they're huge, and you're like, oh my God, it's like something inside my soul is like, oh, that's amazing. But yeah, um, it's hard to describe. Um, so yeah, I do, I do quite like, like darker, nastier art. Um, I do, uh, certainly when I was younger, I like gravitated to nasty, nasty, darker music as well. And now I listen to everything, but, um, uh, you know, and like my, my office playlist might go from like Wolfpack to Cradle of Filth to, you know, like Monster Magnet or, you know, yeah, uh, kind of an ogre. Who knows? Uh, I just listen to anything that is good or that I think is good anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know really. Like, I really like the artwork of kind of like, uh, HR Giga, um, and, sort of think, re- things related to that like the alien films and stuff but yeah um i think that's probably similar with a lot of people and i uh, i think i'm of the right generation to appreciate all of the uh many like cultural touchstones that came together to create the sort of aesthetic and and styling of warhammer 40,000 like you know robocop judge dread mad max uh you know all of those very like famous uh, <laughs> franchises that Games Workshop kind of like oh, that's a nice thing there. I like this. I like this. Yep. I'll just smoosh it all together and see what we get. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, that's what I like about Warhammer. I suppose uh, is that it, it's all of those kind of like cultural, tul- uh, <laughs> I mean, cultural, cultural, cultural. And artistic things that I think were quite relevant at the time smashed together and presented in the sort of form of a collectible miniatures game. It's all, you know, tick, 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 tick for me. Uh, I love it. Um, I actually love the artwork of, of like all of the old uh, releases as well. This, the stylings of so many of the artists uh, are like really etched in my brain mm. uh, and have heavily influenced what I think is good <laughs> in, in like other, in other media as well. So um, yeah. And what I'm, what I'm kind of concerned about is I don't know how well that translates into like live action stuff or, you know, 3d stuff because it's so heavily stylized. I think once you, you like, you run the real risk of it looking weird or mm. like not as good as you'd hoped it was or like not quite as dark and weird and twisted as you imagined and um yeah that's the thing that kind of that, uh, puts me off the you know when people are like really excited about like there was chat about netflix or whatever it was doing a um eisenhorn series wasn't there or like mm. eisenhorn whatever but i was like no i don't know I'm kind of not holding my breath here. I do. <laughs> don't want to get my hopes up. No, and I think I think that's that's really valid actually because 
part part of the appeal of this hobby, I think, is that it lives in the imagination. Mm. Um, to varying degrees, obviously, like it is manifest on the table. Yeah. But in the way you want, you know, you 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 can buy like all GW terrain, but you yeah. can make your own. And it, obviously, I don't need to sort of list all the ways that people can customize and influence their own experience. But I think, yeah, just just to sort of like pick out bits you said there, the the art, especially early on, it was not only weird but quite diverse as well, wasn't mm. it? You know, like and and um, similarly, like the there's obviously a huge amount of black library novels. Yes. But they're not necessarily all intended to be like tonally consistent or no. consistent in terms of details. And I think that's, it's, it's like the, it's the classic like two missing space Marine chapters thing, right? Like it's all kind of designed to leave a bit of a gap for you that you can fill in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it takes like a, it takes real like storytelling skill and, uh, sort of filmmaking artistry to create things that leave those gaps. And I think alien is an amazing example mm. of that because, you know, <laughs> what was it? I, I read, uh, that the alien in the first alien film, <laughs> the xenomorph only appears for like 57 seconds on screen. Yeah. It's like an hour and a half. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and, you know, you get less than one minute of, of actual alien time. And, you know, you would say, this was released now, that's clickbait. You know what I mean? It's, the film's called Alien. It's like, it's, it's only in it for like what, uh, 1% of the film. No, thank you. Um, but it's the build-up and the fact that you don't see it, or maybe you think you saw it, maybe you did. Uh, you know, maybe it was up in the rafters or in the pipes. Who knows? Um, but it's that like tension and story building and it just, it's like incredibly immersive. Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems with, um, let me tell you the problem with everything new, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like most new films that I watch, I'm just like, I know exactly what's going to happen. I can see this. I can see it, how it's going to unfold. And, oh, you know, we're like 17 minutes into the film and you've already, you know, you've like revealed the big thing. And what, what have I got? What am I waiting for now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that kind of, um, the ancient art of storytelling, like don't blow your load too quickly. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I mean, I, I absolutely love the film alien. Mm. I, I will try not to like sidetrack this into like the alien fanboy podcast, but yeah, I, I, I basically totally agree that like the magic of that film is for me is like, from the get-go is the feeling like you can reach out and touch that spaceship and you're on it mm. and you feel like you're there. The alien is really like by the by. Yeah. It's more about just being like completely terrified yeah. and par isolated. paranoid and, and, and isolated. Yeah. And <clears throat> as much as I enjoy aliens, it's a completely different film. Like yeah. it's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a it's like a fun action film. Exactly. It's not. It's not trying to do the same thing. It has some of the elements of that, you know, the sort of survival horror. But it's yeah, it, it's more like a pew pew pew. Yeah, <laughs> save the, I, I'm I'm going to save the day with my guns. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the Jaws thing, isn't it? You mm -hmm. know, that was kind of by accident, but it's a great movie because yeah. you don't really see the shark. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think yeah, 
trailers these days are a mess, aren't they? I know, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> let me show you the whole film in 30 seconds. And, oh, why does no one go to the cinema anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's bizarre. I thought, um, like, uh, I mean, I say new, this is like 15 years old, right? But uh, when the Transformers live action reboot happened, well, it wasn't a reboot because they'd never done a live action one before, but when the first Michael Bay film happened, uh, I was quite excited because I saw it as as a trailer and I wasn't expecting it and I hadn't heard anything about it and I saw it as a trailer uh, in front of another film. And it was that thing of, you know, like, this footage was, you know, found on the moon or whatever, you know, from the, from the probe on the moon. And it's, you know, whatever it was, like Megatron walking past. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's a live action Transformers film. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was so excited. Um, yeah. And it was like a teaser. Do you know what I mean? With, with the footage and, and stuff that wasn't in the film. And that's fun. Do you know what I mean? That's like a cool way to market a film. And uh, as you yeah. say, like now it's like, have a little bit of the film. <laughs> oh, I have a lot of the film. Have all of the film. Um, please yeah, come. It, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's. It's a total like philosophical shift, isn't it? Mm. From from that idea of like you're not going to get to see the film now, mm. but let's entice you to literally just like let's cut together a synopsis of the film. And, yeah, and hopefully you want to see the bits in between. I actually um uh kind of vaguely uh well not worked with but like uh wrote for and interviewed uh, a gentleman called robert dudzik who uh is a very well well maybe not well known but he's like the um uh commercial and uh like film trailer sound guy and he like does all of the sound design that makes those trailers like impactful and you know, amazing in the cinemas. Yeah. He's an incredible audio engineer and sound designer, but man, it's like, uh, when you like see the projects that he works on and you're like, ah, like none of this is in the film. All of this, like all of this sound you have made to like make it an incredibly exciting thing that, you know, people want to watch, but like, (laughs) you know, there's only like the only parts in this trailer, they're actually in the film are like the little snippets of dialogue everything is made for the trailer and it's so such an intensive process i was amazed but that's like total sidetracking but no that's uh, yeah just talking about film trailers now apparently on this warhammer chat (laughs) no that's 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 really fascinating though in terms of like just that idea of the stuff you don't notice about Mm. something when you when you consume it yeah the idea that you don't produce a trailer by Mm -hmm. literally just taking the movie and and chopping it together and that's it yeah um but yeah, well, not not to continue down uh, like film film discussion as before I um, before we be. stop talking about Alien for a second though. Yeah, always <laughs> for up for alien. my um uh, to celebrate. This is like right in the middle of lockdown as well, so I couldn't actually do anything fun. But uh, to celebrate uh, hitting a hundred thousand subscribers, I bought myself uh, a copy of H.R. Giger's Necronomicon, oh, awesome. which is like his quite rare now art book that was released in like 1973 four yeah um it's huge it's huge i didn't realize how big it was because it like, doesn't fit in any of my shelves or like any. i'll show it to you when we're done uh and i i kind of i didn't know what was inside because it's it's a bit naughty apparently and uh i thought it was like full of alien art and actually what it's full of is like 
his very, very disturbed porno mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some of the things are very interesting, but yeah, it's um, a little risque, let's say. Just a little bit risque. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, um, I, I remember discovering that book as in like discovering learning that it existed mm. and then like being like how does one obtain this yeah and then being like oh that's not really book money no <laughs> no um but yeah uh, i know I'm, I'm curious to see it. i mean i think just to tie it into discussion of alien as well like there, there's definitely a very like psychosexual through line in alien generally i th- i think i mean its head is a giant penis right yeah. it's like a giant back to front penis i think the working title was just penis yeah penis. <laughs> and people were like you don't even see that there's only 57 seconds of the penis in the hole <laughs> have you seen have you seen i'll have to show i'll find it show it to you i'm like uh, this is pointless describing like a meme in a podcast <laughs> so we've already done it I once absolutely cracked up um it's just like a couple of pictures, you know, at the very start of Alien and the pods open, like the mm. hypersleep pods and they open and everyone gets up, right? Yeah. And the meme is just like, the, it shows pictures of like the pods close, the pods opening up, someone sort of like pressing a button and the pods closing again. And it just, instead of saying Alien, it says a lion. <laughs> Uh, amazing. Oh my god, that's gonna be me gone for a few minutes now. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, uh, I'm gonna put in some intermission music. Here. Now <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, fine. I'm fine now. <laughs> Probably fine. Uh, just to remind everybody, you're listening to uh, <laughs> Guy from Midwinter Minis, professional narrator, voiceover artist. <laughs> A lion. Oh, God. Right. Okay, next question. All right. Um, what I'll do is I'll ask this question and, and then uh, you can pretend you're thinking about the answer while you can... Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So this, if you could change something about the hobby, what mm. would it be? Apart from all the things I just said about Ninth Edition. Um, yeah, that doesn't count as one thing. I would... Um, I would, well, I would maybe ramp up the point values of most things uh, to make games necessarily a bit smaller. Yep. Um, I would, yeah, as I said, I would like get rid of um, stratagems. I would put special rules back on on profiles of things and stop them being situational and and like you have to buy them essentially with with points during the game uh you know if if a if a unit is cool and has a cool ability why not just use that ability when you know when as and when the uh the um opportunity arises um i would also i know it's like a trite thing to say but i would lower the price because you know, I know, I know that the models themselves cost pennies to make. The sprue, you know, and and I am factoring in the amount of time it takes to research and develop things. Um, you know, and I am aware and I've heard from people who work in the industry that like the the box costs more <laughs> to produce and to change than the the contents 
Um, so, you know, as much as I do respect things having, having to have like a price point, especially to, um, uh, be perceived as a kind of a premium thing mm. and they are because they are, you know, arguably, but I, I am arguing on their side. I would say they are the best model makers at that scale in the world, hands down. Yeah. Um, so they do deserve a premium price, but I do think you get to a point where you are just pricing people out of the hobby. And that's a risky business, especially now because like 3d printing is a tangible and real thing that people can now get good results for, you know, do I buy uh, this battle box or like, you know, these two or three things, or do I buy a 3d printer and some resin and I never have to buy anything again if I don't want to. Um, yeah, that's the kind of the tricky thing. I think, um, on the plus side, you know, I think recasting will become less of an issue because <laughs> people will, you know, uh, the medium will change and people won't be so concerned with getting uh, like discount physical things because yeah. they can just create them themselves. Um, yeah, I think that's what I would change about the hobby. I would make it uh, simpler to play for the vast majority of people um, and reduce the price. Not, not like cutting it in half or anything, just like I maybe bring it back down a little bit and don't increase the price quite so often. Yeah. Um, I would, this is like a little side project. Maybe someone's already done this, but I had this ambition of making a video about, and then kind of making a website and maybe handing it over to someone to maintain or like the community to maintain would probably be more realistic, but um, maybe called something like uh, points for pounds or like pounds for points. Who knows? Um, and just kind of cataloging what the most efficient and least efficient purchase is in terms of the point value in the game. Yeah. Because, you know, you can buy things like whatever it is, like a box of Gretchen and, a, uh, you know, the Runt Herd for whatever it is now. Like, it's like 18 quid now. Uh, and that's only, <laughs> you know, that's like 85 points or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, or you could spend... 18 pounds on a you know character model that's like 250 points who knows um yeah it'd be interesting to see like what the most efficient way of you know where your spending power goes to get the most points because uh things like the stomper when i when i bought that that was like 72 pounds mm. and the gorkonaut was 65 pounds the Gorkonaut was like 310 points and the Stomper was 850. I'm like, hang on, a, hang on a tick. Uh, <laughs> wait a second. Uh, some sort of imbalance here. But obviously it's nothing to do with the points. It's all to do with like how, um, you know, how intensive the model is, I suppose, and like what you get, but maybe not. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing. I mean, I, I think an, em an emotion that people get quite frequently when when like looking at the range mm. and weighing up that cost thing is just that feeling of like hang on a minute i spent 25 quid the other day and got 10 models for it mm. and now i'm going to spend the same amount and get one model for it or yeah. just a leg or you know like yeah and yeah you, you can understand why they do it but there are those practices really like throw into 
in to highlight just how little of it is about materials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even or even design, because it, clearly they just mark up particular things massively. Cause, yeah, because it works for them. And I think it was the um, uh, I think uh, like a complaint you see all the time is that uh, Cadian shock troops used to be in boxes of twenty, like at the end of the noughties. Mm. Um and they were like nineteen dollars for a box of twenty. I'm saying this because like it's Americans that complain because this is how it was available for them. Yeah, and now it's like. A box of ten for forty five dollars. I'm like, what, what went wrong? What yeah. went wrong? Because that's not inflation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, but hey, um, yes. Look, it's two Warhammer people complaining about Warhammer being expensive. <laughs> this is an exclusive, everyone. Exclusive. <laughs> this is the real. This is the real scoop. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on. Mm. So. The question is, what is your perfect hobby day? And I suppose just to flesh that out a little bit, if you you know if you had a full day with with no other responsibilities and you could just fill it with hobby related activities, That's a really good question. What would you choose? Today? That's difficult though. Um, I would. Do you know what? I would probably like the thing I like doing most. I think now. Is actually like scratch building terrain and like kind of making little, not like display things, but uh, I really like scratch building and like building stuff from junk. It's just really fun, really, yeah. really fun. Uh, and and doing the Stomper video, sorry, not the Stomper, the Gargant video that I did kind of really reminded me that that's what I love doing. Because basically that's just a massive piece of terrain, really. It's, you know, <laughs> disguising itself as a huge Stomper. But, uh, oh, I keep saying that, Gargant. Um, but honestly, uh, you know, it's just like several very playable bits of terrain <laughs> stacked on top of each other. And I was like, why don't I just, why don't I just make a really cool looking board? I could do that. So, um yeah, I think that's what I would I would do if I had like time with no expectation, uh, and it was like you know you don't have to make a video on this or whatever, just do that. I know lots of people would be like make a video on that. I would watch that, but um, if it was just for my personal pleasure, I think that's probably what I would do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I one hundred percent identify with that. That mm. is super fun. There's mm. definitely something like childlike oh, about yeah. just. That process of Sticking. bringing together junk mm, mm. and yeah, it's kind of got that sort of like Blue Peter, Tracy Island yeah. vibe, hasn't it? Classy recycling. You're yeah. doing your bit for the planet. <laughs> and that moment when you kind of like essentially bundle a load of crap together, but then you prime it and you're like, oh yeah, it looks that. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, that's totally what happened with the Gargan as well. When I actually built it, and you know you could see like bits of cereal box <laughs> yeah. and like Does it toilet need the paper tube. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, "This looks awful." <laughs> and then actually, as soon as you like, you know, black bomb it, it's like, "Oh, it looks great! Oh my god, it looks so cool!" Uh, yeah, it's funny what difference like black spray paint makes. Man. Should approach should approach all life problems with black spray paint, right? <laughs> my life's falling apart oh everyone hates me oh no to spray everyone with black spray paint prime over the top yeah perfect yeah start again start again nailed it amazing um when you're not being a hobbyist Ooh. 
painting, crafting, playing. Yes. What do you like to do? Um, I, in the past, like played a lot of computer games. A lot of computer games. Uh, I have a spreadsheet. <laughs> how much computer games? How much? How how much in terms of, yeah. In how meters. many units of computer game have you played? Um, I've got a spreadsheet of games that I've finished. Not played, but finished. And it's currently on like 242 games. Zesty. Yeah. Um, a lot of those, you know, because I'm of the generation that I grew up with the uh, the Amiga and the uh, Mega Drive and Super Nintendo. Um, a lot of those games are quite fast to play. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? You could like sit down and finish them. If you got good at them, you could finish them in an hour. So, uh, or less. So that list is like inflated with those games. But, you know, uh, they have like, I would say, addictions to uh, certain games I've played. FTL, faster than light, for over a thousand hours. You're not, you're not the first person I've heard say they yes. put a lot of time into FTL. So so good. I've been playing. I don't know when it was released. It was like 2013, maybe. I've played it uh, <laughs> every year since then, certainly, and some years are an awful lot. I just love it. I love it. Um, I've been playing BattleTech recently. I, I absolutely adore Battletech as like a, a thing. I haven't played the tabletop game. That's one of the things I haven't done. But I used to love Mech Commander. I used to love Mech Warrior. The only Mech Warrior I didn't play was Mech Warrior, like the original. I played like two, three, four, five. And um, Mercenaries, I think there was like a, yeah, there was like a four was split into two games, basically. Um, and. Yeah, I just I like love that kind of thing. I have spent an awful lot of time playing Fallout 2, 3, uh, New Vegas, and begrudgingly 4 broke my heart because it wasn't the game I wanted it to be. Um, yeah, and a lot of these games have like 100%ed as well because I just... I just... I should, like, yeah, I get addicted to them. Skyrim, you know, Grand Theft Auto 5. Uh, the weird one actually for, for like GTA 5 was I, uh, my experience of Grand Theft Auto was playing Grand Theft Auto at the end of the 90s yeah. and then Grand Theft Auto 5 and I was like well this is quite a jump in gameplay <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, you know also a different kind of beast uh, but that's um, that's my other thing I, it used to be music I suppose my you know I think you everyone has like two hobbies right that you, you put passion into and then the other one that you sort of procrastinate with and they alternate mm. it used to be music obviously uh i used to like put a lot of passion into that and like procrastinate with um with games and then like flip it around or like mm. you know do a lot of and then it sort of transferred and i was like procrastinating with warhammer oh what's this again hello <laughs> and then you know again like the downward spiral of uh being Trump. Trapped under plastic. <laughs> Trying 100% Warhammer. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, no one can. You die before you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can uh, I can really identify with that idea of uh, having a few things and sort of pivoting between them. Mm. And sim- likewise, I, I definitely grew up with video games around. Yeah. Um, 
however sorry the- i just i need to cut you off because i just i suddenly uh uh realized that in my uh waxing about the games that i love i forgot to mention my absolute favorite game which is deus ex from the year 2000 not the new games the original oh my god i love that game so much i just like live and breathe it i quote it all the time (laughs) and it just is such an important part of me and who have i who like i've become as an adult uh basically like a a very very distrusting of government person (laughs) um yeah man i love that game oh my god i love the game it's perfectly written it's like perfectly paced uh the graphics are a bit janky now but you know bearing in mind it's 22 years old i think you can kind of like give it the benefit of the doubt if you haven't played it you need to play it because it is exceptional exceptional um absolute classic that's my recommendation well yeah, important, important to important to get that in there. I think. Yeah, so sorry um, for cutting you off. No, no, it, it was no, like I mean, needed I, to be said publicly. No, no, I mean that that's that's actually adding value. Whereas <laughs> all I was going to say was is that I have played a lot of games, but mm. the amount that I've actually finished, uh, you could I can pretty much count on one hand. Yeah, I'm awful at finishing games. Yeah, I I definitely have the thing where like if you take like a Skyrim for example, I mean on paper that is like my perfect video game. That's yeah, good, right? It's I mean, good. and it is great, and it's and it's not that I have a criticism of it, but I will just play like 10, 15 hours, and then the realisation that I'll just be doing the same thing again and again, it's something that clicks in my mind, and I'm like, yep, the novelty of this game's gone, and I'm going to play something else, which is, that's just a thing that's, that's just personal to me. I'll, that yep. does, I'd, I'd very rarely learn, though. I'll then be like excited about the sequel or the next one. Mm. Would you like me to, I've just pulled up my list. Oh, yes. Would you like me to read you, um, I've ranked them, obviously. Of course, yeah. uh, yeah. Out of 10. Would you like me to read you uh, the things that rank eight and above? Yes, I would. Okay, cool. Please. Um, Let's start here. Uh, We should start with the eights. Yes, start on the eights, because stuff below that's not really worth talking about, right? Um, I thought uh, Transformers Devastation on the Xbox 360 was worthy of an eight pretty good as was uh street fighter 2 the hd remix um red dead redemption yeah portal 2 oh yeah la noir grand theft auto 5 <laughs> dragon age origins dishonored zelda twilight princess on the wii uh turtles in time on the snes as was super street fighter 2 um daytona usa on the sega saturn oh, God, yeah, classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, street fighter alpha 2 on the sega saturn and um uh where are we here fighters mega mix on the sega sound obviously strong um the sims 3 on the pc yeah. i thought was pretty pretty decent as was worms armageddon oh. yes <laughs> correct um mist 3 and 2 riven in exile uh not in that order the other way around um MechWarrior 4 vengeance MechWarrior 4 mercenaries see i told you there were two different games MechWarrior 3, Mech Commander Gold, and Halo on the PC. Also, uh, we're approaching the nines, almost. Full Throttle. Do you remember that? It was an amazing point-and-click game by LucasArts. Yeah. Superb. Absolutely superb. I don't think I've played it, but I do remember it. Um, Five Days a Stranger. Again, it's a point-and-click game. Yeah. It's very, very good. Um, uh, retro style, but superb. Uh, black and white on the PC oh, and no. Age of Empires 2. 
we are approaching the nines here. Um, System Shock 2, basically the precursor for Deus Ex, same studio, but very, very good. It's like a survival horror thing in an yeah. abandoned space station. It's amazing. Kind of a also a precursor to what would go on to become Bioshock, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, we are approaching the nines. There's only one game that has a 10, and I'll let you guess what that is. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we're approaching the nines. There's only like nine in uh, FTL. So good. Fallout New Vegas. Skyrim. Fallout 3. I was quite generous with Fallout 3, but I did play it a lot, uh, giving it a 9. Maybe I'd give it an 8 now, but who knows. Um, the only Sega Saturn game to receive a 9 is Dragon Force. Very, very good. It's basically like Pokemon with tiny soldiers instead, but instead of like 1v1, it's like 100 versus 100. It's really fun. Oh, amazing. That's the, so that's the only game... So. I've, 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 if not played, I've heard of all the others on the list so far. That one, if you'd said Dragon Force, I would have immediately thought of uh, the. Pan- I know, Pan- right? Yeah, Pan- but it's Dragon Space. Force. Sure, yeah, it's not than... all mud. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. The original Half Life, uh, yeah. Seven Days of Skeptic, which is like the sequel to Five Days of Stranger. But man, it's so good. It's got some bits in it that just like have stuck with me in my brain since I played it, and it's superb. Um, XCOM Two. Basically, okay. because it's like, I feel like it's the closest I'm going to get to a turn-based Necromunda game on the PC. Uh, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Oh, okay. Absolutely amazing. Uh, and then Deus Ex from the year 2000 on the PC. Nice. Those are my top. Those are my tops. That- uh, what's my bottom, actually? What if I ranked worst that I still finished? <laughs> That's an interesting oh, one. That- oh, of course. Rise of the Robots on the snares. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. I gave it a one. Very harsh, but... Mm. But finished it. You can win the game by, like, crouching and kicking. Well, that's all you oh, need to do. Oh, man. That takes me back. There was a game mm. on the Master System called Afterburner. Yeah. And you could beat it by just holding up and left and, like, <laughs> holding down the shoot thing. Perfect. Which, yeah, that was about my limit. Yeah, yeah. It's like before playtesting was the thing. And I'm like, oh... Uh, maybe we should have not released this game yet. Never mind. Uh, that yeah, that uh, that to me strikes me as a pretty deserving list. I now just really want to play Worms. Um, so good! Oh my god, Worms Armageddon. I recently described to my to a couple of friends who are not like miniatures people. Mm. I was trying to describe what Necromunda was like, and then I had a moment where I was like. Oh, it's kind of like imagine worms on the table. Like you mm. get attached to your squad and you give them names and like that. And yeah, yeah. I thought that was quite a key parallel for me. Yeah, I think um one of the one of the I don't know if it's like just a couple of points away from uh, Rise of the Robots and terribleness, but uh, Worms 3D on the Saturn is one of the worst games I've yeah. ever played. I think it's not on that list because I didn't finish it because it's almost <laughs> impossible to finish it because it's like someone was like. Do you know what would be really fun is uh, taking this like really interactive, cool 2D game and adding a third dimension with really awkward controls and you die instantly. <laughs> like yeah, You have no hope of winning in that game. It's awful. Didn't um, survive the transition to 3D very well. No, no. Which no. has now made me think of, did you ever play Hogs of War? No, no, no. <laughs> so Hogs of War was a PS1 era game. Ooh. Basically, literally just like worms but 3d but you instead of worms you were pigs, pigs. hence hogs nice, of war nice. and it wasn't really a great game as i remember mm. but a lot a lot of what it lacked in gameplay 
it made up for in charm because it had a... Sorry, I just dropped my ring that I was playing with, if you heard that. <laughs> Carry on. It lacked in charm. It, uh, it made up for in charm, sorry. Yeah, because it had Rick Mail narrating. No. Yeah. And it was it was pretty great for that reason. Precious Rick. Aww. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say I miss him every day, but I do think about him a lot. Such a shame he died. Oh, my God. I like grew up on the young ones and bottom and filthy rich and cat flap and uh drop dead Fred. My oh, God. Drop dead Fred. So good. So beautiful. Like the bit at the end of Drop Dead Fred. Not not quite at the end, but uh where she's like in the coma and is dealing with all of the things. Don't want like spoilers if you haven't watched the thing, but uh he actually does some good acting <laughs> yes. at the end of that film. It's like, oh, he is actually like He's phenomenal. Do you know what I mean? He does what he needs to do and he's, ah, God. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's one of the only celebrities that when they died, I was actually legitimately sad. Him and Keith Floyd. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's legit. I, I think, um, might have to, uh, do a drop dead re rewatch. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to line up an honorary Hogs of War at some point. If you don't know what Drop Dead Fred is, uh, it's an absolutely superb film uh, about a little girl who had an imaginary friend when she was young and is now not a young girl anymore and is a successful, you know, uh, woman doing her things, but has maybe she's experiencing some stuff in her life that, you know, many people will have. Uh, that uh, making her question her life choices, and the imaginary friend turns up again and encourages yeah. all sorts of mischief and terrible things to happen to her. Um, it's just a very funny, charming film, but it has like, you know, it's got a heart of gold. I think it's really lovely and has, I think, one of the best endings. And like resolutions to any film, I would put yeah. it in like top ten endings. Certainly, there's like some bits in the film that have dated slightly, but uh, it's an yeah. amazing film. I very strongly recommend it if you haven't watched it. Definitely second that. Probably has a great trailer as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I dropped it, Fred. Uh, this no. summer, yeah, this summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, Yes. What was the actual question? Oh, Lord knows. Uh, <laughs> What's oh, next? It was, <laughs> it was, it was what, you, what you're doing when you're not oh, yeah, yeah, doing yeah, tabletop yeah. stuff. And yeah. it was video games. Games. I do quite like films as well, but uh, not as much. as games. Uh, do you like them enough to have made a list with ratings? No, no. There we go. There's games, so right? Will... Yeah. Haven't well, even made a list of ratings with Warhammer stuff, to be honest. Yeah. So maybe I like games more. Yeah. <sighs> just just Contra waiting controversial. for midwinter means to pivot into uh that's what it was FTL originally going to be that's what it was originally going to be i was going to just i was going to do gaming reviews of of games that i knew very well and can talk about very well um but i decided i didn't really decide i just did it for funsies to see if it would work and yeah it was like it worked quite well so i was like oh okay i'll just carry on doing this well it's too late now because all the reviews are on this episode i know right yeah 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 <laughs> All right, well, we are approaching the wrap-up point. Oh my God. I'm going to take this opportunity to say nipple for a third time, just to... Uh, this is actually the fourth time, because I, I said nipple 
recapping the previous two nipples. Uh, oh. Actually, now we're on five. Oh, okay. So, just saying. Ah, well, that was a waste of nipple. Uh, six. <laughs> um, final question. Not really a question. Mm. Um, well, it is actually, grammatically. Ooh. Is there anything you'd like to mention or plug? Um, no. I think people have enough vying for their attention. Uh, if you've listened this far, thank you for putting up with our ridiculous ramblings. And I hope you have an enjoyable day and you know have fun in what you do don't stress out too much about the things that uh might be concerning you uh if you can change the course of things go for it give it your best shot and if you can't influence stuff don't worry about it um sage words indeed yeah (laughs) yeah um don't be a dick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> be yeah. nice to people. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't be me when I was 14 on forums. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, at least some of that has been uh, been interesting. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. And of course, uh, a huge thank you to you, Guy. Thank you so much for your time. No, really thank that. you. Don't be silly. Um, unfortunately, you made the cardinal sin of when you introduced the podcast. You didn't introduce yourself you didn't say hello my name's will oh no so you're gonna have to do that now now all right i'll come in again hello my name is will that was dice thrower you were listening to episode nine with guy of midwinter minis please make sure you check out midwinter minis and uh yeah hope to catch you all on a future episode of dice thrower Thanks so much, Guy. No problem at all. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Wait, wait. Uh, what do I say when I finish videos? Um, I don't say that. That was an incredibly loud scooter. Um, what do I say when I finish videos? Uh, what do I say? I usually read off a script. Um, thanks so much for watching. Bye for now. No, I don't say that. I say, and I'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Uh, how do you want to begin? Mm. Excuse me, sorry, bad time for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moist. Yeah.